and uh, David, before we get in, because it is Merge-tober. Merge-tober. No, Merge-tember. Excuse me, Merge-tember. Wow. Oh, did I just curse you us? Just, yeah. <laughs> hey, Bankless Nation. It is the first Friday of September, or David, should I say Merge-tember? Because that's what month it is. <laughs> it is the Merge month. And that means that all of the Bankless episodes in September are called Mergecast, oh, not Podcast. How'd you like that? <laughs> I did not know this. I did not know this about our podcast. You were ready for that. <laughs> anyway, guys, this is the, the weekly roll-up. I said at this time, not David. Mm-hmm. What should people do when listening to the weekly, weekly roll-up, David? What beverage should they be drinking? Oh, of course. They enjoy? You know, I'm not saying that everyone has to be drinking coffee, but, you know, it's the coffee that I drink when I listen to the weekly roll up every Friday morning because sometimes I do actually listen to it, you know, you to, you know the, to catch up in the week in crypto. Because uh, that's it's what the we coffee do. that you drink. Yeah. I think yeah, you yeah. meant to say it's the beverage that you drink is coffee, but you said it's the coffee that you drink is a oh, beverage. Excuse me. Yes. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah. Same thing. Sometimes you know? I mix up trillions and billions. Sometimes I mix up beverage and coffee. You know how it goes. <laughs> Friday rituals. Well, yeah. Of course, if you are a weekly roll-up fan, you will know that if you add anything to your coffee, David considers that a, a beverage, beverage. Yes. no longer a coffee. Yes. The only real coffee is black coffee. That's, that's what right. I learned from David. Black coffee, oh. espresso, water, and coffee. That's how it works. That's, are, that's I don't write the rules. No milk. <laughs> All right, guys, we got some interesting topics this yeah. week. David, do you want to tease some of them up? Yeah, we got some shenanigans going on this week. Uh, first off, Avalanche playing dirty, question mark, using uh, nation state legal systems to sue other alt layer ones in order to get ahead, kind of just like taking a hack at your opponent's legs as you try and run a foot race. Uh, you know, you know, not totally, completely proven. Uh, so we'll go back on the details on that. Um, but also, uh, Michael Saylor getting sued in the District of Columbia for not paying taxes, perhaps creating a forced Bitcoin seller. We're going to cover that that drama. Uh, and then also MakerDAO wants to depeg die. Uh, no longer one like the dollar, dollar equals one die, perhaps. Uh, at least these are the conversations going on in the MakerDAO discourse. So we're going to summarize all of this and more, but also a bunch, uh, rather than all the, like, the negative stuff, there's also some positive stuff, of course, also happened this week. Ryan, what, what were some of the good things that happened? Uh, all right, you got the bad things. Got the bad a few things. of the yeah. good things, some highlights are a new liquid staking token, ETH staking token, just launched on the scene, and it's from one of the largest exchanges. I don't know if you guys can guess which one, mm. but we will tell you in the roll-up as it progresses. <laughs> also, a roll-up itself just upgraded and made Ethereum seven times bigger. That was the news this week. Uh, starts with an A. I won't tell you which one until we get into the episode. I and then Facebook and Instagram just expanded their NFT offering. So there's definitely a lot to talk about on the good side. And of course, if you like these roll-ups, you're listening on your podcast player. Make sure you like it. Make sure you write us a review. Uh, give us five stars if you think we are worthy of five stars. And then also, if you're listening to this on YouTube watching it, I should say, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Mm-hmm. And uh, David, before we get in, because it is Merge-tober. Merge-tober. No, Merge-tember. Excuse me, Merge-tember. Wow. Oh, did I just curse just, us? Yeah. You just <laughs> it's, it's well, September, uh, day one of September, and we're already off to a bad start. This might redeem me with listeners is, did you know? All right, David, let's get to the markets, man. What is Bitcoin doing this week? Uh, going down. It's going down, Ryan. Uh, Bitcoin started the week at $21,700. It went down 9.5% to where it is now at $19,600. We are below $20,000. Oof. That's Oof. just about double digits, Oof. man. That's a pretty yeah. steep drop. Yeah, we're below week. 2017 all-time highs. Okay. And ETH? 
is that showing us anything better? Because the merge is coming, David. Yeah, yeah. The the mer the ether also down, also down, down ten percent. Down start of the week wow. at seventeen thousand ten dollars. Currently at fifteen thousand thirty dollars. Down a little bit more than Bitcoin. Yeah. We're going to talk about this in a minute, but this feels awfully correlated to the Nasdaq and the stock yeah. market coming on the back of some of Powell's recent comments in mm -hmm. Jackson Hole as he gave them. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, how about the ratio? Is that giving us any signal? Uh, yeah, it did the same thing it did last week where it plummeted down to like 0 0.073, 0 0.072, uh, but it then recovered back to 0 0.0783. So it's overall down 1.3% on the week. It started the week at 0 0.079, currently down to 0 0.078, but it hit 0 0.073 intro week and, and bounced back up. So still life in the, in the, uh, in the ratio. Still life in the ratio. How about uh, global cryptocurrency market cap? Are we above a trillion still? Uh, barely. We are barely above a trillion. We started the week at 1.085 trillion and we are at 1.002 trillion. So $20 billion away from $1 trillion. No, wait, $2, bill $2, two billion. $2 billion. All right. So what is ETH right now? So it is 14 or 1500 something? 1530. 1530. Okay. So it's still floating above the uh, 2017 all-time mm -hmm. high, I guess, or 2018 yep. all-time high. I don't even know if people care about that number anymore. Yeah. Do you think that's like old news? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it feels kind of old news. All right. Um, this is a prediction for the merge date, which, yeah, of course, we've explained is, is somewhat uh, changing, ever-changing. Mm -hmm. What is this showing us? Yeah, so this is Bortle.wtf, and there was another merge predictor website that we showed last week that predicted the merge had like moved up to like early morning September, and it even flashed into late th uh, Tuesday. Um, but that was one calculation, and here's Bortle.wtf, which is a more conservative calculation. So this one moves a little bit slower. As hash rate comes and goes, the merge date changes. Uh, and so, like, people don't really know. Uh, and so the other the calculation that we showed last week was pretty, like, aggressive in how much it updates based, uh, based off of recent uh, hash power. Uh, the Bortle.wtf site changes a little bit slower. Uh, and this one is still showing that we are going to likely merge around Thursday noon UTC time, which is about 8 a.m. Eastern time. Um, we will see. All right. So um, what happens with the hash rate? How is that related to the merge date, whether it's like sooner or later? Yeah, so total terminal difficulty, this is that TTD number. It's the replacement for block height. So rather, and this is why the date hops around every now and then. We didn't choose a block. We cho chose a TTD, a total terminal difficulty. What the hell is TDD? Uh, you don't really need to know this. Don't like carve out space in your brain. This is really like the one-time thing that's going to be relevant. But it's basically the raw number of hashes. So total number of hashes that goes into proof of work. Once the total number of hashes hits that TTD number of... 5875 and then what looks like 20 zeros after that i'm not don't even know what number that is uh, a significantly large number uh, then we merge uh, and so the faster the more hash power there is the more that miners come online and do proof of work mining the faster we grow the hashes the faster we approach that ttd number if miners drop off the network then we approach that number slower uh, and so it's a function of like how many miners are mining on ethereum and as that goes up merge comes sooner as it goes down merge goes further away I wonder if we'll see any drop because if we see some drop, like hash rate go down right. as as the Thursday of September fifteenth, mm -hmm. excuse me, merge September fifteenth approaches, <laughs> then um, like that could extend right. it into like Friday. I personally, I'm I'm hopeful it it um, hash hash rate uh, goes down a little bit so that we get like you know like. 
2, 3 p.m. or so mm. in the afternoon. Right, right, it's right. just we nice and back, casual, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We could just kick back and relax, and this doesn't go super early into the like wee hours. Of, I would like to have a margarita while the merge happens, yes. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Just like afternoon, early evening. Yeah. That would be so relaxing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's nothing we could do. I guess we don't really know what the hash rate is going to do. Is there any reason to believe that miners might drop off as, as the merge gets closer? It makes sense for miners to not come online as we get closer to the merge. So that, that makes sense to me. Uh, like if you have late, no one's investing in, in Ethereum proof of work now. That's too late. Right. Um, and so it only makes sense for it to stay the same or drop off. Um, it's one of those things that there's a little bit of game theory behind this, right? So if like 50% of miners the day before the merge, just like, all right, let's like pack up shop. Uh, well, then you're actually making it twice as profitable for the 50% of miners that stick around for that last remaining day. Right. Uh, and so like, I don't know, I kind of think the, if you will have a miner, miner, the only reason why you would want to shut down your mining rigs is to sell your GPUs before the rest of miners sell their GPUs. But I don't really know how liquid the GPU market is or how relevant that is. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's probably likely they'll, they'll just stay and, and continue to squeeze yeah. the, the remaining proof of work juice yeah. out of this. Uh, out it's of this still extremely profitable to be a miner. So, yeah. Uh, all right, David, let's get to our Fed watch. That was our merge watch uh, coming soon, man. Just n- next couple of weeks, of course, the merge, but the Fed watch. So, as I said earlier, Jerome Powell was out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. He gave a policy speech, and this sent markets tumbling. Here is a CNBC. Uh, article Powell warns of some pain in quotes ahead as the Fed fights to bring down inflation. Uh, the Fed Chairman Jerome Powell on Friday pledged, that's last Friday, that the central bank will use our tools forcefully to attack inflation. It's still running and it's running near its highest level in more than 40 years. So he, he gave a speech. He said it would take some time. I think the TLDR of this is Powell is saying the Fed Reserve. Uh, the Federal Reserve has to continue raising rates and even hold them at the higher level that's coming soon until at least inflation is under control. And that's at the cost of jobs, uh, possibly. So unemployment could continue to rise, and uh, Powell is saying he'll continue to be to be hawkish. So even though he's saying that though, David, what's interesting is um, the market is still predicting that rate cuts will start around summer of next year, June of like 2023, if you kind of look at the like what the market is pricing in. So today, the Fed rate, uh, the target rate um, is between, you know, two and a half, uh, two and a quarter to 2.5%. And the market is pricing a 70% chance that we increase by another 75 basis points, September 21st, right? So that would be the next time the Fed might increase rates. So Powell continuing to be hawkish. Of course, this sent markets for a tumble, the NASDAQ, the S&P, and people are blaming this on the crypto dive as well. This is why ETH is down 10% on the week. I think uh, the other take I heard was that we had one month of uh, inflation that didn't get higher. And then everyone was like, it's reversing. It's over. It's over. <laughs> and then people were like, wait, no, that was just like one month worth of data. Like we're still we in this. a few more months. Yeah. Uh-huh. And this is Powell playing kind of the bad cop and saying, yeah, we need more time. Inflation right. is not dead yet. Yeah. And I will continue to try to squeeze it out of, resist, uh, out of existence. This reminds me, though, David, next week we have Arthur Hayes on the podcast. Oh, yeah. 
And you ask him a really interesting question that I think you've asked a number of our macro guests and our merge guests. <laughs> Trying to get the answer recently. I want. Yeah. And that question is, which is more powerful in the trading world, in the price world, the merge or macro? Mm -hmm. I've been asking this question so many times to so many people, and I finally got someone to give me the answer that I wanted. And now I think we that, all know, that, I, that becomes the bona fide correct answer, in my opinion. <laughs> I think we all know what answer you wanted, so we won't even say it. But tune into that episode. It's a special episode coming out on the Bankless podcast on Wednesday. And YouTube on Wednesday of next week. Wednesday. Arthur Hayes right. on Bankless. What do we got coming up next, David? Oh, God. Avalanche playing dirty, suing other blockchains. Blockchain suing blockchains. Is that even allowed? Apparently it is. Uh, Michael Saylor, going to have to sell Bitcoin? Not because he wants to, of course, but because he got in trouble with the law. Naughty, naughty. And of course, MakerDAO die drama. Is die going to depeg from MakerDAO on purpose? Uh, so all of these stories and so much more after that are coming right after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. All right, guys, we are back with the first news item of this segment. Is Avalanche playing dirty? There's some drama in the space, maybe some legal uh, things flying around. I gotta be honest, David, with, with uh, some of these stories coming out, I haven't been following them in depth yeah. because I, I guess maybe I'm at that point with like, I just don't care that much. Well, that, uh, that makes sense coming from you because this is something strictly outside of crypto economics. This is like meat space lawyer stuff. Yeah. And that's why this story is what it is, is because like you, you guys, like the claim is that Avalanche is playing a game outside of the game. Uh, and that's probably why you don't care. That's my yeah. And so, that. so, so catch me up. Like what, mm -hmm. what actually happened? And then uh, maybe at the end I'll tell you whether I care or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this uh, website, CryptoLeaks.info. This is actually the first time I've ever discovered this uh, website. Uh, CryptoLeaks.info published uh, a very long and with lots of like content uh, uh, whistleblower article that is basically claiming that Ava Labs and this one lawyer law firm, Rosh Friedman, is suing like systemically suing as many different like blockchains, L1s as, as they can in order just to like play dirty. Uh, and so player number one, we have Ava Labs, the for-profit company behind Avalanche, uh, led by CEO Emin, uh, Emin Gunsir, uh, employs about 150 people. Player number two, Roche, Roche Friedman, a law firm that widely sues people in crypto, currently running 25 class action lawsuits, including Binance, uh, uh, Labs competitor Solana, Definity, uh, and a few others, and it's being led by Kyle Roche, who's another big player in the story and employs about 30 lawyers. The claim here is that some years ago, Ava Labs and Roche Friedman made a deal, a pact that was formed that involved Ava Labs granting Roche Friedman, Roche Friedman, how do you pronounce this guy's name? Roche, R-O-C-H-E, Friedman. A massive quantity of Ava Labs stock in Avalanche cryptocurrency, AVAX, now worth hundreds of millions of dollars in its game for, for Roche Friedman agreeing to pursue a hidden purpose. And this is uh, what this uh, this claim, this, this whistleblower, uh, CryptoLeaks.info, is claiming what that hidden purpose is. Purpose number one, surreptitiously causing harm to competitors. If there are two horses competing in a race, you can hack at the leg of the other and the other one will win. Their horses, AVAX and AVA Lab stock, and initiating a class action lawsuit against competitors can harm them in multiple ways. So they have secretly weaponized the legal system to do this. Even when they only make a weak case, 
such that with a high broad, even with a high probability that they lose their own litigation, this can still cause harm to their target targets, greatly profiting them in the long run. Moving the price of AVAX by only a small amount by harming competitors can produce big gains for them while they make sales from their huge hoard of AVAX tokens and AvaLab stock. Basically, the idea is that you go and sue your competitors and then they have to take resources to fight this, this class action lawsuit, whatever, this litigation. Uh, in order to defend themselves. Uh, and so like you only spend five to $10 million on like trying to sue them and they spend tens plus millions of dollars trying to defend themselves. Uh, and then the second purpose, luring regulators, including, including the uh, SEC and CFTC away from AVA Labs. Uh, they often litigate against competitors in ways that make them look guilty of regulatory transgressions. Directing the intentions of regulators towards competitors can cause further harm to them and also sure, uh, serves to lure regulators away from AVA Labs and their ravenously commercial behavior, which regulators would otherwise be very interested in. Kyle tells that he litigates to create other magnets for regulators to go after. Uh, and they do this to crypto actors, actors who are not obvious competitors, basically throwing other teams, organization companies under the bus to make sure that Ava Labs doesn't become a target of the uh, SEC or CFTC. Can, can, can I pause here and make sure, sure. I'm following so far? Mm -hmm. All right. So there's this website called Crypto Leaks, and yep. they claim to be a website mm -hmm. that supports like whistleblowers. So yes. if you see something, you know, skeevy and scammy and sketchy, mm -hmm. you email them, you give them the evidence, the data, and they'll yeah. report it on your behalf, right? Yep. So what yep. we have is a whole blog post full of maybe some evidence, looks like some yeah. video evidence of this uh, dubious law firm Roche mm -hmm. and the charge that basically uh, Ava Labs gave this lawyer tokens mm -hmm. and equity and equity in exchange for him going after their competitors in like yeah. kind of like, sleazy they're, they're, they're legal type ways yeah which is just like um suing them for kind of dubious reasons right and like costing them money yes but then also like drawing attention from regulators away from like your entity your organization right. and towards the other entity so this is the charge so far is this correct yeah and there's like videos to support yes. this is this yes. yeah i've watched some of these videos and like it, it, it's a combination of these videos and this fact that this law firm does indeed own like it used to own over one percent of all avax tokens and now owns uh, less um, but then also, you know, we would assume it also goes with uh, Ava Labs Capital as well. Uh, and so, like, there's just like a lot of dots that all seem to line up to support these claims. Uh, now, there, there is some uh, skepticism, skepticism to the legitimacy of this website that we're looking at in the first place. Uh, we'll get to that at the end. Um, but let's continue to, into this story. Uh, the, the, the concept, the, why this works is like kind of like an exploit of the American legal system using class actions in which uh, you know, class actions can claim to be representing groups of people who they claim to be harmed. So like Roche Friedman says, I represent the token holders of Solana and Solana is actually a legal security and Solana went down in price. And so because I'm gonna represent Solana holders, I'm gonna sue to the Solana Foundation, regardless of whether Roche Friedman actually is a Solana holder or cares about Solana holders or actually believes the thing that he's saying. Uh, so for example, they, the, they actually did file a lawsuit against the Definity Foundation, essentially parroting the false claims of Arkham Intelligent. I don't know who that is. The purpose is to damage the reputation of their targets and, and surround their brands in FUD. Uh, and so also importantly, once Roche Friedman goes into litigation against a target, 
one of their, their enemies, the so-called, they can harvest and collect confidential information, which they are using them using in legal discovery. And then they can pass that discovery phase information over to Ava Labs. So Ava, Lab can, Ava Labs can, can see what Definity is doing. Like it's like an espionage or like spy <laughs> stuff. It's ridiculous. This is like corporate um, mm -hmm. legal like sleaze type stuff really that's is. going on. Really is. That, uh, that's, so, that's allegedly going on. That's allegedly going know, on, right? yeah. So uh, last little bit here, Roche Reedman can spend a few million dollars litigating against an Ava Labs competitor and lose the case and still come out on top if their actions harm or suppress a blockchain that competes with Avalanche. Since their actions may drive the price of AVAX significantly higher such that the size of their soldings can they can make a substantial profit. Uh, and so Kyle Roche uh, issued a response in his Medium article that basically says that like this is all fake. Um, he says, uh, a posting on recently uh, launched anonymous crypto leaks website about me, my firm, and Ava Labs contain numerous unsourced false statements and illegally obtained, highly edited video clips that are not presented with accurate context. These videos were recorded without my consent during private meetings with Kristen Ager Hansen, who, uh, whom I now know works for De, uh, Dominic Williams, the creator of ICP token. And the defendant is a high-profile securities fraud litigation my firm brought against him. Mr. Ager Hansen requested a meeting with me under false pretenses of venture capital investment in a technology startup, but his real motives are now clear to deceive and entrap me. When I agreed to the meeting, I was unaware that Mr. Ager Hansen specializes in what he calls conflict management for eccentric billionaires like Mr. Williams, where he uses illegal and underhanded means, including covert recordings and social engineering to, to solve their legal issues. Basically, uh, Kyle saying like, like, yeah, yeah, this guy, I was like, framed. I was he, framed. Yeah. yeah, but also like, if you do watch the videos, like, yeah, like I also, if I was Kyle, would not want those videos to go public. Uh, so we're not going to play these videos. You can go link them into the show notes. Uh, also, a tweet from Emin of Avalanche, uh, he who says, "How could anyone believe something so ridiculous as the conspiracy theory nonsense on crypto leaks? Uh, we would never engage in the unlawful, unethical, just plain wrong behavior claimed in these self-serving videos and inflammatory articles. Our team and tech speak for themselves." Uh, there's also some interesting uh, tweets cited by some people in the community uh, below this one, uh, where Emin uh, is uh, uh, retweeting uh, one of Kyle Roche's lawsuit against Tether and the manipulation of uh, cryptocurrency prices. And then another one, back in 2020, the Avalanche Twitter account and the Avalanche blog makes a tweet citing, introducing the initial litigation offering, bringing the $10 billion asset class of litigation financing to Avalanche and retail investors for the first time. Again, another like Roche, Kyle Roche law firm, like partnership with Ava Labs. So like the part this partnership and this weird like litigation fascination with Avalanche has a history. And so that's one of these dots that are being played out. Here's Ari Paul's, uh, Ari David Paul, who is the CIO of Block Tower Capital, unrelated to all parties. So like kind of a neutral onlooker. Uh, and he uh, is reading this case and his take is that I assume it's correct and it's as bad as it looks. Fits with everything I've seen previously from both Surier and Roche, from a lawyer framed on Roche a few weeks ago. Dumb version of mob lawyers, bottom of the barrel, oof. Uh, but then he also continues further down and says, I will say some credible lawyers at Ava Labs, I respect, tell me Roche's claims are false. They can't slash won't share any evidence of that due to attorney client privilege. I don't know what evidence they could have absence of a private conversation, but I respect them enough to a believe they're not lying and b remain but uh, and b remain open-minded to see what evidence becomes available uh and so 
and also this crypto leaks website is generally assumed by also neutral third party onlookers to be like a front for uh, ICP uh, Definity. What? Uh, yeah, yeah. So apparently the crypto leaks website is like something that the ICP. So this like, is not like an open source, like anonymous, someone trusted yeah. from the community. It's just this also could be a large corporation behind this crypto leaks website, and these could yes. be just two. <laughs> uh crypto <laughs> networks battling it back and forth like yeah exactly. covertly yeah mm-hmm. yep. how dumb <laughs> 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 this is just it is quite dumb. ridiculous does this have it a resolution in any way it's like it just seems like back and forth uh it seems sketchy on like all sides concerned possibly yeah. it's just like this is some bear market stuff you know art layer ones <laughs> like start slinging mud at each other during the bear market um and my take on this is that you know i was going down this rabbit hole to understand how to report on it on it for this particular uh this particular uh story that we're talking about right now and there's a click on that link that i'm quote retweeting ryan there's this guy that tweets out a couple screenshots uh from uh ava avalanche like you know twitter supporters uh, and then this one Twitter account says this this is their intention to just make FUD. I believe Avalanche and Emin as the father of blockchain would never do such a thing. Their only goal is to prevent emergence of AVAX, but they are not and will not succeed. Fast forward to the next screenshot, copy and paste the same thing. Fast forward to the next crypto Twitter account who's like supporting Avalanche, copy and paste the same thing. Like oh, that's, this text is a little bit different, but it says it says basically the same thing. Uh, and so like, and this goes, this reminds me of this uh, article I wrote back in late 2020 about Avalanche and how they, uh, this is verified true. Like this is, this is not like conspiracy would pay uh, like frog accounts, frog crypto Twitter accounts in AVAX tokens for engagement on crypto Twitter. Frog Twitter accounts are just like pseudo anonymous crypto accounts that tend to yeah. represent themselves as like frogs and right. they seem like they're kind of bot controlled or robot controlled, right? Yes, very like uh, puppet, like sock puppet sock Twitter puppet, accounts yeah. that put on like both a Pepe frog uh, image, but also with like an avalanche hat. And they're like, oh, I'm an avalanche supporter. But like, there's just fake engagement. It's and then for social engineering purposes. Social engineering, yeah. And like, we know this is true. There were chat rooms. And I'm, I wrote this story called On Frogs back in 2020 when I was going my first war with the frogs of like, there's been like three now. Uh, and like, there you, there was actually just like concerted telegram rooms where like you would post your engagement. It's like, oh, I, I made a tweet about av uh, avalanche. Here's my tweet. And then you would be given a tip in AVAX tokens. Like, we know that this happened uh and and so like this culturally in my opinion is like very aligned like they're willing to play dirty and they always have uh and so allegedly is... david we don't know for sure but you know what i gotta say that the the spidey sense that w we've had about this sort of thing and yep. i think like you've had when you see Big these time. like sock puppet accounts and it feels mm -hmm. organized and it feels concerted and they're all chanting the same chant um the probably there've been like four times I've seen it like at a fever pitch. Um, mm -hmm. One is like Chainlink back in like 2019, 2020. And then that kind of died down. Yeah. Um, the other is Avalanche, as you said. Yeah. Um, the, the, the other is uh, Danny Sesta. Yeah, they, he controlled the frogs for a while too. And yeah. he was a frog puppeteer. And like we all know how that ended earlier this mm -hmm. year. Uh, and, and the other was kind of like the Terra community uh, yeah. and Do Kwan. Yeah. Uh, and this felt like a lot of sock puppet accounts again. And right. I'm not sure that it that totally was, but like all of those communities, when you kind of dip a toe in the water and you like put forward arguments, uh, it just it, 
something felt off. Something felt like mm-hmm. not quite right. Something felt right. Uh, rotten in those cases. And it turned out to be like, at least in two out of the four so far, things right. were kind of bad. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, doing there, there's like a deal with a devil that you make when you try and promote your blockchain and your asset without doing like the things that you should be doing, which is straight up innovative protocol engineering. And you start like, you know, shooting people in the hamstrings in order to get ahead. Well, here's a call for everyone to get back to building. Yes, and uh, to stop with kind of this the social shenanigans and stop with kind of the legal shenanigans because we are sick. I'm sick. I think you are sick of talking about it in the roll ups. But yeah. that's what that was a big thing yeah. making waves this week. So we had to cover it. Yeah. Uh, what else we got, David? Uh, God, Michael Saylor is getting sued for tax fraud. Um, uh, so the <laughs> okay. District of Columbia is suing Michael Saylor for over a hundred million dollars of uh, n- unreported income or untaxed income that should have been uh, paid to uh, the District of Columbia, but Michael Saylor claimed to be living in Florida when he was actually living in his very large apartment in the District of Columbia. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So Michael Saylor and his company facing legal accusations that led to systemic tax fraud and penalties that could amount to more than $100 million. Attorney General for Washington, D.C. said in a statement that Saylor has lived in the District of Columbia for more than a decade and has never paid local income taxes despite earning hundreds of million dollars in cash and microstrategy equity options over that period. Uh, And so there is a tweet, an an actual tweet out from the uh, District of Columbia Attorney General, yes, saying... Today, we are suing Michael Saylor, a billionaire tech executive that has lived in D.C. for more than a decade, but has never paid any D.C. income uh, income for tax fraud, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Saylor personally avoided more than $25 million of D.C. taxes by pretending to be a resident of other jurisdictions with significantly lower personal income taxes. Michael's strategy is also named as a defendant in this, Ryan, alleging that the firm conspired to help him evade taxes. Uh, I mean... Since Michael Taylor is the controlling owner of Michael of MicroStrategy, he can just tell MicroStrategy that that's how it's going to be. Um, uh, and then, so a quote uh, says, "Michael or Saylor is going to have to probably peel off some Bitcoin, depending on where that Bitcoin is in the eventual judgment comes down. Almost nobody beats tax fraud uh, fraud allegations, but we'll see." There's a nearly 130,000 Bitcoins that MicroStrategy held as of June 30th and was purchased for an average price of $30,600 a piece. Uh, Bitcoin is now trading at below 20,000 by the close of uh, New York stock trading hours on Wednesday. And MicroStrategy also reported a net loss of $1.1 billion due to the drop in BTC price. And still, Saylor, during the recent earnings call, says that the company would seek to continue acquiring and holding Bitcoin long term with no eventual plans of selling. And an- another quote from the article says, everyone knows he's long Bitcoin. If Bitcoin continues to decline, MicroStrategy stock could go down by another 30% and get absolutely hammered. Uh, and at what point can you turn around to your shareholders with a straight face and say that you are not selling? End quote. Oof. 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 Yeah. So I guess the summary is there could be some... Sell pressure. Sell pressure on Bitcoin. But of yeah, course, Michael this Taylor's got to pay taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, this has to get settled in court. So, yeah. right. This is a prosecutor going after a defendant. I'm sure Saylor will bring a case forward and the courts will decide whether this indeed was tax fraud or not. Um, hard for me to like, I mean, definitely could have happened. I could definitely see it happening. But also in our system, we have to obviously presume innocence uh, and the court systems are the things that that decide the outcome here. So yeah. um, 
you know, presuming inf- definitely presume innocence, of course. However, uh, Michael Saylor, there's a quote from Tier 10K that says, "TLDR: Saylor pretend to live in Florida for taxes, but actually lived in DC. Frequent flexing on Facebook, private jet flight logs, and talking about tax evasion on podcasts got him nabbed by the feds." So yeah, Saylor was known to talk about like all like the tax evasion tax. Oh, well, that'll get you. Know, yeah, so on very <laughs> as a very public person, so uh, you know. I, there's always that rule that I like to live by, Ryan, is don't do more than one illegal thing at once. Um, <laughs> otherwise, you'll get nabbed well, for them all. That is now uh, recorded on a podcast, David. So <laughs> you happy to know that. Here's uh, somebody replying to this tweet. Noted, if committing a crime, don't talk about it on podcast. Don't talk about crimes on a podcast, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll try and apply this to my own life, is yeah, what the poster certainly, says. Certainly. Good lesson for us all there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Maker drama. What is God, happening yeah, with Maker? Drama just keeps on coming. Okay, so Maker is a stablecoin. It is one to one pegged with the dollar. Always has mm-hmm. been, always will be? Question yeah. mark. Mm-hmm. And this is what. Uh, so my following of this, I haven't read this uh, this summary from Greg here, which we're about to get into, is uh, Rune Christensen, one of the founders of, of Maker and kind of representative of a uh, you know a core core cohort of Maker, is really spooked and really freaked out by the recent Tornado Cash OFAC sanction action. And he's worried that the current plan, which is backing uh, DAI up by RWA's real-world assets, which has really been the, the, the strategy of multi-collateral DAI, might not be resilient enough uh, for nation-state-level attack that he seems to think is like on its way or imminent. And so... Is his answer to this, again, David, I haven't read all the posts. I haven't gotten into all the detail. Is his answer to this, we depeg from the dollar. And so we nev- no longer use the dollar as a uh, u- as our unit of account. Uh, and we start to become a, a free-floating currency in order to get around this and maybe use different collateral assets that aren't as real-world dependent. Is that what's going on? Yeah, so we, we could read this like 38-tweet thread, which I think really does a fantastic job summarizing the complete state of MakerDAO. Yeah. Um, uh, but like ultimately, Rune Christensen just pr- pr- uh, put forth what Greg DiPrecio in the sweet thread calls uh, a decently like radical plan, such as uh, depegging die. Hmm. Uh, and so Greg says Rune's latest plans are nothing short of radical to depeg die from the dollar and to push all core units and non crypto vaults into the theoretical contract of meta DAOs, which has been part of Rune's end game plan for a long time. Uh, he has the support of fellow futurists and the decentralists, which Greg has put MakerDAO's like political parties into three camps. You got the futurists, the decentralists, and then the centrists. Uh, Maker or Rune uh, was in, definitely in the futurist camp, but this like te- and like people like uh, Amin Soleimani and Chris Black have found themselves in like the decentralist camp. It was like get rid of all real old assets uh, and anything that's like you know potentially censorable, like USDC. Uh, and so, like, Rune used to be a leader of the futurist camp, still is, but now has, like, taken a large leaf out of the decentralist camp to uh, make uh, MakerDAO more censorship resistant. Uh, so that's a quick TLDR of the state of Maker right now. It's very strange that they've gone from, like, um, lending funds to, like, a, a Tesla uh, subsidiary or something right. like this and, like, lending funds to, like, banks in Pennsylvania to a reaction from the community to say, like, Let's get rid of real-world assets entirely. Right. Let's not even peg to the dollar. Um, real-world inter- assets has been in, in MakerDAO's core ethos since day one. 
yeah, right? Like that has been the whole shift to multilateral to die. And that, you know, shift, what Rune was a key part of that shift. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting to see this emerging. And like for, for my part, I don't know which party you would kind of represent, like the futurists or the cent- uh, centralists or the decentralists. Mm-hmm. I probably always viewed a bit more towards the decentralist side of things. Yeah. But also like I was very glad that the multilateral die experiment was playing out. So mm-hmm. I also very much valued kind of this, the, the, the centralists and the futurist approach that I was taking because other projects have taken the... Um, decentralist type approach where all of their collateral is just like backed by ETH and they've depegged like uh, Rai is an example of this uh, and that is a free floating asset that you can purchase right now it um, tries to dampen the volatility of ETH but is incredibly decentralized relative to like DAI and the uh, real world asset type strategy so what a pr- like what's your take on this <sighs> Maker, the reason why there's three political parties is for good reason. Like they all have justifiable grounds to support the thing that they support. Well, this is, I'm just like shooting from the hip here, but like, why don't we fork MakerDAO and have the futurist MakerDAO and the centrist MakerDAO and the decentralist MakerDAO and each one can produce their own stable coin. They're like, we'll have to sacrifice that like net liquidity that we get from having one central stable coin. But then we have like the super decentralized dollar pegged die stablecoin. Uh, we have the futurist die, uh, dollar pegged die stablecoin that's based off of real world assets that plays nice with nation states and makes them happy. Uh, and like we can make a version of MakerDAO that corresponds to each one of these like ethos. And I think there's also a world where we do that and that actually the MKR token is like the thing that's shared between all three of these models. So like and you have like the MKR governance token, but then you have like three MakerDAO commercial banks that are governed by the same MKR token. Uh, that's like my quick take. I don't know how feasible that is. Yeah, that I, I think that is an interesting take and that indeed might be what happens. But um, you said it yourself, like the sacrifice there is you lose the shared liquidity right. of DAI, which right. is incredible. But I was talking important. to um, uh, Kirk from Volt, yeah. from Volt Protocol, and he, he's a big fan of just like, we don't really get super robust stability until we have many stable coins. Uh, and so like having many options uh, is good. Uh, and so there's also synergies that happens as a result of that too. So you create all of these options and then maybe you kind of like right. tokenize those options together into yeah, kind of into one basket, one yeah. basket, which becomes yeah, exactly. the staple coin. I, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I, I do think all of these factions will play out uh, to some extent as they have already. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, what do we got coming up next? Oh my gosh, coming up next, new liquid staked ETH token on the scene. Got another competitor to Lido staked ETH and Rocket Pools R ETH coming out from a big exchange wonder what exchange that is and how a roll-up just made Ethereum seven times bigger. That's a big number, seven Ethereums. Uh, we also got Facebook and Instagram expanding their NFT offerings, which you know usually is like a big headline. Um, uh, and so we'll get into that as well. But also, I think a really funny story, it's not that big of a headline, but funny story, crypto.com accidentally sends $10 million instead of $100 to an Australian woman. Woman and uh, Ryan, guess guess who's got a new house? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. The Australian woman's got a new house. Uh, so all these stories and more after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. All right, guys, we are back. A new liquid staking token is on the scene. That is staked ETH, but liquid. So you can do all the things that you do with the staked ETH uh, token that you do with ETH itself. Uh, Coinbase is the one 
doing this right now. David, what are the details here? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. CB ETH uh, alongside our ETH from Rocketpool and staked uh, ST ETH from Lido. We now got CB ETH. I think this is the first significant staked ETH derivative token from a centralized exchange. Uh, so that also enters the world of DeFi, staked ETH derivative tokens in DeFi now coming from Coinbase. Uh, it is important to note that like Coinbase charges a whopping 25% of your staking fees if you stake with Coinbase. And so if you buy this CB ETH in DeFi, you're implicitly paying that percentage. Uh, and so like the yields on these things, there's going to be a yield war ride on these like staked ETH derivative tokens. Like, you know, who, who's going to be able to inject the most yield into their staked ETH token? 25% uh, fee on this one. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And he, here's a Dune Analytics board about this. So there is um, 654,000 uh, so far right now. So that is about a, a billion in market cap. That's yeah. a ton. And so are, are you worried, David, that like, you know, the centralized exchanges will come? Look, they are the liquidity engines of the entire market because they have the the gateway to fiat. Right. Unlike many of like the Rocket Pool doesn't have that, for example. Mm -hmm. Are you worried that something like CB ETH is going to take from uh, just using raw kind of liquidity power of its of its uh, stake derivative token, take from all of the centralized, uh, you know, options and from solo stakers? I don't know. I do always believe that the Ethereum ecosystem has like the natural antibodies to resist centralization like this. <laughs> Uh, Dan Elitzer, when he wrote this piece, The Death of Ethereum, the D-E-T-H of Ethereum, the delegated ETH, was predicting this stuff like this would emerge eventually, and he was totally right. So like, it's actually kind of cool to be able to fast forward like two or three years after he wrote that article. It's like, oh, here we are. Um, uh, I mean, the 25% fee versus Lido's 10% and Rocket Pool's 15%, uh, that's got to that's gotta mitigate that somehow. And And also like, if Rocket Pool had a bug and we lost all the ETH, like that's a protocol. So like no one's really coming to save you if that ETH gets locked. If Coinbase has a bug and like depositors lose their ETH, like I bet you Coinbase is going to pay, figure out how to pay back those that lost funds. And so like there's probably some implied like insurance mechanisms based into some of these centralized ones that are pretty compelling. I don't really know, but I'm, I'm happy to see there's more competition on the market per all, per usual. Yeah, so so am I. I'm happy to see the competition. I, you know, I part part of me wonders if we won't just have another lesson to learn in crypto. Mm. Like some of these um, derivative staking, centralized derivative staking tokens will become like very big, and then at one point something bad will happen. We talked about some of the bad scenarios in our episode with Justin Drake earlier this week, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe there's a a social slashing type event. Right. Maybe one of these, uh, the, the staking of this exchange uh, goes down. Maybe they start like censoring transactions. Maybe they like straight up lose their keys, right? right. Not your keys, not your crypto, right? So all, any CBE that you're purchasing, essentially uh, the backing of that ETH, it's an IOU for an ETH that is held by Coinbase. So it's not at all the same risk profile of an ETH. Now, I guess all this to say, um, I think investors will and you know holders will probably make the classic mistake of they'll they'll look at the rewards and they'll look at the UX and the ease of use, but they'll forget they'll forget about the risk side of the equation mm -hmm. because risk is very hard to measure. And there are a lot of risks that go hand in hand with using a centralized staking provider to stake your ETH. Uh, and the only time we really recognize our the the risks is when something like Celsius happens right. or Three Arrows Capital 
or like like the Terra Luna fiasco, and then we're like, oh, okay, this is why we need decentralization. Ah, right. <laughs> now the decentralization remember. thing. I forgot. That is my worry, but um, I do think over time, like over the long, long run, we'll have a good balance of centralized and decentralized staking providers. And um, I think that episode with Justin gave me more hope on that. Uh, speaking of more hope, scalability on the way. We teased this a few times, but Ethereum just got a 7x upgrade. Okay, this is uh, an episode we did earlier this week. Arbitrum released, released Nitro, which their original Arbitrum roll-up, Arbitrum 1 roll-up, was one uh, ETH worth of space capacity. You can think of it that way. And Nitro just 7x that. So now we get seven Ethereums in Nitro. David, how do they do that, and what's kind of the news? They do that the way that we always make all of transactions cheaper on blockchains is through compression. Uh, magic developer compression technology that's like outside of my brain. Uh, but basically, they, they went from one Ethereum worth of scale to seven Ethereum. So this is like a very rough way of like uh, explaining these things, but it's directionally correct. Uh, and basically, that means that they figured out how to compress a Arbitrum transaction or a bundle of Arbitrum transaction seven times more previous than versus previous. And so now there's just like a smaller per transaction footprint on the Ethereum layer one, which translates into cheaper gas costs on the Arbitrum layer two. Absolutely. And we did an episode, if you're looking for all the details behind that, we did an episode earlier this week that you can access on the bankless feed, of course. Uh, David, optimism, no slouch yeah. either. They are just hitting uh, all-time highs, I mm -hmm. think, in their metric of gas used. That is mm -hmm. block space used, compute used on optimism as mm -hmm. well. So it's not just Arbitrum who's heating up optimism as well. Yeah, all-time high usage of optimism. Like I've said it a bajillion times before, you've said it too. Like all of the ingredients for a layer two summer, a layer two season <laughs> is like here. Uh, like you can't and, say summer anymore. Can't say that's summer, putting yeah. a timeline on it. Yeah, well, no, it's the summer is like growth period. It's like blossoming oh, okay. period. It's, yeah, it's yeah. more of an analogy. Yeah, we're going into it. like, it, we're going into winter in the uh, upper hemisphere, but we're going into summer in the bottom hemisphere. And, you know, crypto, summer, is, summer. Crypt, crypto exists both in both hemispheres. Anyways, uh, you know, optimism usage, all time high, Arbitrum Nitro on the scene. The Arbitrum community is absolutely stoked about Nitro. Uh, you can just feel it in the chat, in the uh, YouTube chat. Uh, and so like the, the, the blossoming of layer twos continues to blossom once again. <laughs> <laughs> There's a data giant. I don't know if you saw this, but um, a cloud data provider called uh, Hertzner, I believe. Never heard of it before. Yeah, I have not either, but um, it's, apparently it's very large. Uh, they just banned all Ethereum nodes. So you can no longer run an Ethereum node in the Hertzner cloud. This is, I guess, like a mini... Amazon Web Services or something like banning Ethereum mm -hmm. nodes. And I guess they said not permitted. Using our products for any application related to mining, even remotely related, is not permitted, uh, Hertzner said in a message to its customers. Even if you just run one node, we consider it a violation of our terms of service. So they're taking a hard stance against anything crypto inside of their cloud. I have no idea where that's coming from. Maybe um, they're worried about sanctions, David? Yeah, maybe. I, I, I don't know the details, but I guess one take is um, good for decentralization. It'll get some of our nodes out of these cloud service providers. What's your take? Yeah, I don't really think these stories mean much. I, I was doing a, a call with Coinbase, one of their like education education calls, and somebody asked this question about like, yeah, is is this bad? And like, so this is also a conversation on Twitter. Is like, is it bad that we have a ton of nodes in like cloud uh, infrastructure? And in my mind, like, 
though like if you host a node in a cloud infrastructure it like it's the most meaningless kind of node possible like why do we run nodes in the cloud it's because the cloud gives you the easiest and cheapest computer if you need to run a node you can either like go to the store buy a computer build a computer host one yourself and it, like keep it up and running in your own apartment or you can go to aws and run a node there it's always going to be easier to do it in the cloud no matter what your cloud service provider is but it's always it's also therefore the most inconsequential so if it goes down you either just go to another cloud server or if all of cloud servers go down and they just outright ban all of ethereum stuff then you go and build your own node and so it's the same concept of like water flows downhill and nodes will be spun up on the infrastructure that's easiest to spin them up on just to make development easier but that doesn't actually mean if you if there are like if they have to say, say Ryan, there's about like 10,000 Ethereum nodes out there, maybe 20,000. Maybe we add on like 20, 200,000 Ethereum nodes on AWS. That has no meaningful consequence on the direction of the Ethereum blockchain. That doesn't give Jeff Bezos any undue control. It just means we have a ton of nodes in AWS. Yeah, uh, and, and if he bans them all, we just route around him. We just route around him. And like if, if Jeff Bezos is like, oh, all of these nodes that are in AWS, I want them to listen to the OFAC chain of Ethereum. Well, those are meaningless nodes because the more meaningful nodes are the ones that are run by individual community members that are are just like inside of your own homes. Those are the more valuable yeah. versions of nodes. And even if you went to the worst case scenario where all of the cloud providers together colluded, which is like very improbable, that they all colluded and they said, no Ethereum inside of our cloud mm -hmm. infrastructure, it would be a pain in the ass. It would be like a UX it slow problem temporarily. It would slow us down, but then we'd route around. We'd use decentralized networks. We'd use like uh, IPFS. We'd use like BitTorrent type, P2P mm -hmm. type technology. Uh, and the network would still continue until they relax their policies. Right. Um, you can, of course, always go to ethereumnodes.com and see just a list of publicly available Ethereum nodes that you can hook into at any time that you want. I basically, th I think, David, they'll be forced to reverse this kind of thing because the greatest defense that crypto has and will always have is the value it brings to the world, the utility. Yeah. Right. And so um, once it would start, that utility starts to kick in, then uh, Hertzner is going to reverse their decision and be like, right. oh, we like NFTs. Oh, we right. have to run Ethereum nodes in order to right. have all of these, you know, um, all of our customers who want NFT infrastructure. Okay, we've reversed that decision. Right. I mean, that's that's how that's, it happens. That's my take on this is like somebody just saw like OFAC Ethereum and then they're like, are we exposed to this? And then yep. they say, oh, we are exposed to this. You know what we should do? Ban Ethereum. And like they put that much thought into it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Vitalik maybe put a lot of thought into the book that he is releasing. By the way, this book is on its way to my house, David. Oh, yeah. If you've got your copy. I haven't gotten um, my copy yet, no. It's called Proof of Stake. This is Vitalik's first book. I think this is like a rehash of, of many things that he's written. Um, it's mm -hmm. kind of co-written with him and another writer who's taken some of his work. But I think Vitalik's goal here is to actually um, you know, talk to kind of the, the philosophy of crypto and the blockchain as he does so often on his mm -hmm. blog and not talk so much about like kind of the, the price and other things. Uh, so I'm looking forward to getting this, but he just released a digital copy, NFT copy with all of the proceeds going to uh, Gitcoin. I think there's been like a hundred ETH or something raised so far. Wow. I'm not sure what the latest is. It's great. Uh, but pretty impressive. Yeah, we were making that joke the first time this was announced that like all this Ethereum merge thing is for, for Vitalik to be able to sell his book. Uh, <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible joke. Uh, I did ask Vitalik, hey, Vitalik, you want to come on Bankless? We can talk about your book. And he's like, well, the book is just like an aggregation of everything I've talked on Bankless over the last like 15 episodes I've been on. Uh, 
think so. Uh, but of course, I'm still going to buy it. I'm not going to not buy Vitalik's book. Obviously. Uh, Instagram, David. Facebook and Instagram are allowing the posting of NFTs. I think this is in some specific areas, but this is Meta continuing progress on adoption of NFTs. Any thoughts on this? I still haven't seen usage of it inside my corner of Instagram. They're just um, testing it with some select yeah. U.S. creators right now. Yeah. So, yeah. You, wait, you're wait, waiting. Wait until, wait until the usage. Yeah. You're waiting for the usage? Waiting for the usage. Yep. Uh, this is what it looks like. I'm, I'm showing a screenshot here. Um, just sold an NFT. So this is an NFT, I guess, on Instagram. You know, all I really see is just like a bunch of surface area for NFT haters to hate more on NFTs. Oh, wow. That's another subject. Uh, and I, it reminds me of our next like link here, which is um, Reddit just launched their NFTs. Mm-hmm. But notably, the term NFT is not mentioned. Yeah, smart decision. <laughs> well, so <laughs> all like, of a sudden, everyone loves NFTs if we just stop calling them NFTs. Do NFTs have a very bad name at this point? They're almost like, I feel Got like it. they're like ICOs were yeah. in 2017, except in a broader audience because ICOs didn't get very broad. Right. Um, but NFTs went on Jimmy Fallon, went completely mainstream. And now suddenly everyone hates them. Mm hmm. Yeah, Why do you right. think that is? Just um, price? Yeah, it's like a, it's like that in-group, out-group thing. Like, why are people spending ten thousand dollars on like a monkey instead of a instead of like normal stuff? Uh, and and also just like I will always say that when there is NFT hate, it's because we as an industry haven't created NFT either the NFT that that person wants specifically for them or the form factor isn't right yet. Like all of these free NFTs or NFTs that you like naturally accrue in your like gaming app that aren't labeled as nfts are going to win hearts and minds as soon as we figure out how to make those damn things because the brand of nft is down bad do yeah. you know i saw uh speaking of reddit i saw a uh, reddit post uh and i just like clicked in it because it was you know, like interesting title to me it was what's the most annoying way to start a sentence was the prompt right and so all of the redditors like replied with their response mm -hmm. uh and one of the most like upvoted one was this you start Literally. a sentence with this yeah. As an NFT owner, I think that <laughs> <laughs> so this in is the future. The statement as an NFT owner is going to make very little sense because NFT is just a form factor. It's just a, it's just a file Oh my God. Standard. If you replied that in that, in that uh, thread, right. you would have been downvoted oh, yeah. so no, hard, they, David. Yeah. There's a reason why I don't engage in like, I don't try and defend <laughs> NFTs on Reddit, Ryan. I have better things to do with my time. Well, it's it, but I also think that some people are, um, kind of rebelling or reacting to the way they've experienced NFTs from like NFT bros or like influencers who've tried to shill them things. And so this is all part of the visceral right. reaction. Um, yep. Let's do a show pass. Let's go to Ticketmaster. What are they also up to, using NFTs in the flow blockchain to let event organizers issue NFTs tied to tickets. Now, I do think this means that the NFTs themselves are tickets, but they can also be other things as well. Uh, simply like just memorabilia or like a ticket stub or something just to uh, uh, commemorate the event. You know, I was thinking about this, Ryan. I we've I, me definitely uh, have been highly critical of uh, flow as a blockchain because it's just like the ripple of NFTs, so highly centralized. But I actually don't hate this use case for the flow blockchain. Neither do I, man. I, don't I think it. this one is like I don't like, I don't even hate NBA Top Shots on Flow. I don't hate any of it. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, like. Assets like a like a CryptoPunk or like a Bored Ape need to be on Ethereum because those are very close to like financial assets with a lot of capital. But like 
uh, blockchains are host data now and for and forever. And I'm not sure that like ticket I don't want tickets information on mainnet Ethereum. Do yeah, you? I don't think that makes a ton of sense. So this use case of flow does make sense to me. I think these are great use cases for like, you know, side chains and like mm -hmm. um, even even uh, chains like we we're talking with Arbitrum Nova, which don't use Ethereum right. as a data availability letter, layer mm -hmm. and are uh, far cheaper or right. even like centralized. Um, I guess like centralized databases, right? I mean, that's kind of what this is. Uh, but the, you, at some level, though, at some point, you, you start to get where the, where the the chain itself is so centralized and so closed uh, mm -hmm. that it's just kind of like, why do it anyway? Why is the blockchain right. anyway? Why not just have a database? Right. So I'm yeah. not sure where that line is, but that's a good point. Yeah, there's something there. Yeah. Uh, all right. Do you remember the Goose NFT? Yeah, it's the Artblocks NFT. <laughs> yeah, that was sold for like five point three million dollars, I think, to Three Rose Capital. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah, and I think Suzu had the famous tweet. Our thesis is it looks like a goose. No, the, th the thesis thing. is we like the goose. We something. like the goose. Yes, we like the goose. That's the exact quote, and it does yeah. look like a goose. And it definitely at looks the like time, a goose. That's for sure. Thought, Genius. This is amazing. This is the future. You know what uh, that's worth? $5.5 million because it looks like a goose. Wow. I wonder what it's worth now. I guess the goose was just um, uh, sold a year ago on the 27th. Two, three hours capital. Two, three hours capital. And now it's part of a bankruptcy uh, liquidation process. Some people so. are speculating that it's actually going to go for more than $5.2 oh million. God. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Just because of the story. I can't even. It's not like, it's just like instantiated. The goose is in legendary. Brains. It's very this, legendary. This, this is what the goose took the, the trillion dollar hedge or the, you know, $20 billion hedge fund down. Right. That's the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, goose, the, the straw that broke three arrow capitals back. The yeah. goose that broke three arrows capitals back. Beautiful. <laughs> See, now you're very feeding poetic. into it. You yeah. just made it more valuable. Good job, yeah. dude. Totally. <laughs> in interesting news on the regulatory side, the FBI just issued a warning over vulnerable DeFi platforms, and they outlined three specific attack vectors, and they cited the $1.3 billion in crypto that was stolen just the first quarter of this year. So this is the FBI, David, saying, uh, guys, get your stuff together. You're making our jobs hard. You're making our jobs hard, and also, like, uh, basically, the America's enemies like are mm -hmm. taking this money. What percentage of GDP do you think North Korea made on crypto hacks last year? What percent of their GDP? Minimum I mean, like, double digits. Right? Yeah. Like that's incredible. So you can um, you can understand like, where they're coming from. How else does this. North Korea make money? How do they? What's their what's the North Korean business model? There is not much coming in. I mean, it's all kind of like. Um, you know, raw, like materials, like um, physical materials and th mm. this sort of thing, right? Um, sadly, uh, it's def definitely not coming in from other sources. Right. And so the FBI said, here are some attack vectors, DeFi, you should watch out for. Flash loans, right. watch out for those. <laughs> and they name a project, Project BZX, where thieves uh, got $55 million. Exploiting a vulnerability in DeFi's uh, in token bridges, such yeah. as the Nomad token bridge or manipulating uh, cryptocurrency prices by exploiting oracles. Like this is the FBI getting to the details. They just described a flash oh, loan attack, types, yeah. mm -hmm. a bridge attack, and an oracle attack here. And I understand, so I guess what I would say is I very much understand where um, the executive branch is coming from in these types of things, because they're having to clean up, they're having to be the enforcement when things get stolen in the real world and right. go like, 
this is this is this is who the DeFi companies, the bridges got attacked. They're calling the FBI and saying, "Hey, can you help us, guys? Like criminals made off with our money." And the FBI's like, "What are you doing? You left the doors open." Yeah, get your you know, stuff together. This is kind of goes back to our conversation of like, we need like new internet police, like new, we need like the, the white hat that version of scary. like, the, it does sound scary. We need like the white hat version of like the Lazarus group. So like, oh, the Lazarus group just hacked that bridge. Well, we need like the un-Lazarus, the Lazarus undoers to like go hack the Lazarus group to get our funds back. Like we need something like that. Yeah. And we need like internet hardened, Avengers, more robust code as well. <laughs> internet Avengers, yeah, that sounds Sam's way better. Sam would be uh, would be on there. Yeah, David, give us the story. Oh God, this is hilarious. Okay, crypto, the crypto.com ten point five million dollar accident. So, crypto.com accidentally transfer, transferred ten point five million dollars to a woman instead of a hundred dollars. The woman uh, user customer of crypto.com asked for a hundred dollar refund, which they just happily like refunded her, but they instead refunded her. $10.5 million instead Oops. of $100. <laughs> uh, what, what happened was that they accidentally account, entered her account number into the payment field rather than the refund amount and then hit send. And of course, you know, irreversible blockchain transactions. This is how this happens. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> after, and that was seven <laughs> months ago. That happened seven months ago and they didn't realize it. So for seven months, this lady received uh, $10.5 million. Uh, and you know what she did with that with that money, Ryan? I'm sure she gave it all back to crypto.com the moment she received it. The, I'm sure she did not do that. <laughs> so what she actually did was bought a 1.35 million four-bedroom property in Melbourne and then smartly immediately transferred the ownership of that property to her own sister who lives in Malaysia, which has made <laughs> okay. it extremely difficult for uh, <laughs> crypto.com to get their money back. Wow. Uh, because she like quickly bought a house and then transferred ownership of that house to somebody who's like irrelevant. Uh, and so like, I'm sure this lady's gonna get in trouble. Like, yeah, like you, that's, I'm sorry, no. Like, and that's money, not, it's not yours. Yeah. It's but not she bought a house and gave it to someone. And so like, now they have to go undo that, which I, that has to go to courts. And I don't really know how that's going to unfold. A bank has made an error in your favor, collect $10.5 million, million dollars, and yeah. then go buy a mansion with it and give it to your sister. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <great>. uh, <laughs> that's so funny uh, uh, all right quick rebrand in the orca protocol world orca protocol is now metropolis and they are opening up their pods for beta access i did a uh, layer zero with uh, julia rosenberg uh, about orca now metropolis and about how uh, orca now metropolis uh, allows DAOs to become uh, modular uh, so uh, Ryan and I believe that the future of blockchains are modular blockchains. And I also believe that the future of DAOs are modular DAOs rather than monolithic DAOs. And Metropolis, Metropolis Protocol, is uh, pioneering this future. So they are now having a rebrand and they are open for beta. Very cool. Metropolis, like the, like the city, I guess. Like um, the cities, yeah. Moving yeah. on to raises, you know, proof. So this is uh, Kevin Rose's um, initiative around mm -hmm. the proof collective and the um, Moonbirds community. Yeah, the one the one that's behind your head right now. Yes, the one that's behind my head right now. Uh, they just raised fifty million dollars from A sixteen Z, and many more. I feel like at some point in time we're going to have to get caught up with Kevin Rose mm -hmm. to see what they are doing with all of this funding. But I think they're going big on yeah. this stuff, creating an entire ecosystem, creating like entirely new worlds around proof. Uh, and uh, I'm pretty excited to see what they what they deliver, what they build. And 
and I th like, thank God we have Kevin Rose building out this frontier of what you can do in this corner of like the Web3 universe. Like a real use case for NFTs he knows what with he's real doing. value because he knows what he's doing yeah. and he's putting all of his energy behind it. Like this isn't just like a side project. Uh, he's intentfully like building out. He's like he's pioneering this pioneer, uh, this frontier single handedly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I thank him for that service. Totally good. Uh, all right. Reddit. Uh, do you know Alexis Ohanian? I guess now <laughs> we just we just talked about Dig. Now we have to talk about Reddit, huh? Alexis yeah. Ohanian. He just raised one hundred and seventy seven million dollar uh, crypto fund. So this mm -hmm. is all going to crypto. Uh, the quote says. Now is potentially a unique opportunity to invest in strong founders at a discount. This is from Alexis Ohanian and their marketing material. I love that he says a unique opportunity to invest in strong founders at a discount because back at the top of the market in 2021, like the favor was definitely in the hands of founders and like, which give me all of your money VCs because you're totally <laughs> going to give it all to me. And now the, the, the tide, the tables have turned very much in favor of VCs with capital. Uh, and so that leads us into the next raise with Genesis raising $500 million. Galaxy and Genesis execs raised $500 million uh, because you know, power is in the hands of the VCs. Uh, and so there's still plenty of private money out there uh, going into crypto startups. Well, this, I mean, very, very good strategy, obviously, for VCs to raise during the bull market and then deploy during the bear market. And of yes. course, uh, that's a good strategy for you too, retail right. investor. Like if right. you're thinking about these markets, right? Um, better to buy during the dip or when things are quiet than, than buy the top. Um, David, got to talk about jobs. Job. This is our opportunity, your opportunity, I should say, if you're a listener to Bankless, to go get a job in crypto. We've got the jobs board here from Bankless. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna read out a few jobs. Number one, from Superform, a senior backend engineer. Bit Green, a full stack developer. Oh my God, David has lights this time. A software engineer, <laughs> market data at Masari. Another software engineer over media, DYDX, needs a backend software engineer, Steakfish, an HR business partner. What's that, it's David? Backend engineer, full stack software engineer at Steakfish, a front end, and a DevOps engineer at Steakfish 2. Bankless needs somebody over media operations, doing podcasts and such. Boardroom Labs needs a software engineer over DAO governance. Go get a job in crypto. Now's your opportunity. We will include a link to the Bankless job boards. You can subscribe to the job boards and get these delivered to you on a daily, weekly basis. We will remind you every week as well in the meanwhile until you get a job in crypto and then we'll continue to say it won't we yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah we will get two jobs in crypto start <laughs> another podcast in crypto what do we got next david oh coming up next questions from the nation lots of ETH staking questions so if you have questions about ETH staking maybe this is one of yours and also an interesting question what about bitcoin maxis do we agree with right huh yeah. Uh, and then, of course, following some that, some hot takes from crypto Twitter. So stay tuned for all of that and more. But first, we're going to talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. All right, guys, we are back. As a reminder, if you have a question for David and myself, you can ask that question. Follow Bankless HQ. We tweet out a question every Wednesday. Reply to that tweet. Get your question answered. This is the first one from avigupta.eth. When I, it's a staking question, David. When I stake via all these providers like Lido Finance and Stakewise, who am I trusting my ETH with? And can my ETH get slashed? David, who is Avi trusting when he is staking his ETH with Lido and Stakewise? 
Yeah. So, you know, not your keys, not your crypto and not your keys, not your validator. And so when you stake with Lido, you're staking the Lido system, the Lido DAO. And so your ETH in Lido specifically goes into one of 24 validators. And if, if, uh, it also, I guess, gets commingled with all the other depositors, but say, for example, like one of the Lido, Lido validators, one twenty-four one of the 24 of them gets slashed holistically, like they lose all of that ether, then I guess like Lido becomes like under collateralized by one 24th. Stake wise, like I'm sure they have like a network of validators too. Um, but basically you're giving up your rights as a validator, your ability to sign messages to whoever you trust. So if you stake your ether with Coinbase, you're trusting Coinbase. If you're staking with ether, ether with Stakewise, you're trusting Stakewise. If you stake your ether with Rocket Pool, you're trusting the Rocket Pool protocol. Uh, and so can your ETH get slashed? It's like, well, that's up to uh, the facts and circumstances of every single provider. Anyone can get slashed for all of the reasons that one would get slashed. It's definitely not something that is like accidental. Like you are either trying to attack Ethereum and you're double signing blocks and that'll get you slashed. That's a big slash. You, that's a big slash. You don't just accidentally do that. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I'm, I think I'm going to accidentally attack Ethereum It can happen today. if people like misconfigure their networks badly right. enough. That's when right. it can happen. I've seen that happen. But, but that's that also extremely avoidable, right? Yes. That's the idea of like, you have a redundant computer to start signing messages if your first computer goes down. But the risk of that, the reward of that is like not that much. It's just like minimizing downtime. Hopefully none down of time. these stackers, uh, right. stakers would do that and they're all professionals, right. but it could yeah. happen. That's one yeah. risk. Um, uh, and so like, yes, technically it can get slashed. It would probably be just negligence or just something, some crazy black black swan accident by one of these stake providers. But technically you're out of control for that. Um, well, I wouldn't be too worried about that risk. One interesting slash condition though that Justin uh, Drake mentioned on the call is kind of that, or on our episode earlier this week is kind of that idea of social slashing. So let's say mm -hmm. a whole bunch of stakers that you were staking with, um, decided to censor transactions, right? Well, then if the Ethereum community kind of like forked onto an uncensored version of Ethereum, uh, you might want to withdraw your deposits no. from that uh, from that staking pool. Um, so there's but some, I think you would you would see that coming. Yeah, from you would see that coming. so far away. Yeah, you would. Yeah, we, you would hear about like you would hear me and Ryan unless you were in a cave, like you just yeah. left it there for a couple of years, that sort of yeah. thing. Uh, yeah. David, this next question is from eight hyphen. L. You're going to pronounce that? <laughs> I tried. I tried 8-L.ETH. Uh, what would a home staker have to do on a practical level to be slashed? I thought the recommended yeah. client software didn't censor by default and thus not be something to worry about. And are you solar stakers or plan to become? Question mark. Uh, yeah, so as a home staker, what do you have to do to get slashed? The most likely event is when the one I talked about where you, like, you have your computer, you have your validator, and it's staking as it should. And then you want to get like fancy with it and you want to have a redundant computer with the same signing keys as the active computer and you have it configured so that the active computer if like the internet cuts out or like loses power or whatever then the the standby computer notices that the active computer is offline and so then the standby computer goes online and starts signing messages to maintain zero downtime the risk here is that the standby computer comes online and the active computer is actually still online for whatever reason uh, and then you are have two computers signing with the same messages and that will get you slashed. That's we've seen that happen before. There's definitely ways around this. Look at DVT technology from Obel and also just don't do it. Just take the penalty. Just take the uh, the the leakage penalty. The leakage penalty is, is so low. 
it is equivalent to how much ether rewards you are making, but in the opposite direction. As opposed to getting slashed and getting penalized, instead you just make a negative amount of yield. And so just like, just take, just take it. You're just like, you set yourself back a day, two days, I don't know, how long are you away from home? Uh, and it's not worth the extra risk. That's the most likely reason why you would get slashed. Uh, you, uh, uh, this uh, asker says, I thought the recommended client software didn't censor by default. Yes, all client software does not censor by default. Uh, you have to do something. You have to tinker with that client if you want to start censoring things. Uh, and that's going to be at an ad hoc basis. So yes, it's not something to worry about. Are we a solo staker or do we plan to become one? Uh, Bankless does stake. Uh, we stake with uh, a friend of ours who is not uh, located near us. They're in a different physical location. Uh, so I guess we're not solo stakers because me and Ryan stake together with the help of a friend. Uh, I travel a lot. Uh, and Ryan has kids that might kick over his computer. So who knows? <laughs> I do actually plan to become a solar staker, David, though, on the other yeah. side of the merge, just like running a little bit um, yeah. from, from the house. I think that's important. I want to you know, test it myself. Um, mm -hmm. Another question on staking from Happy Joe at Happy Joe asks, if I have 64 ETH, do I get more yield by staking two times 32 ETH or one times 64 ETH? What's at the root of this question, David? Yeah, so actually there is no such thing as one times 64 ETH. There is only units, discrete units of 32 Ether. So if you have 64 ETH or 96 validators. Ether, you have, if you have 96 Ether, you have three validators. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't make one validator with multiples of 32. You just spin up two validators. Uh, and so that is... And that when, is the when David says two validators, by the way, you can spin up many validators on the same mm -hmm. machine. So he's not yes, talking correct. about like, oh, you have two one computer of, per validator. Yeah, God, one, could you imagine? No. <laughs> so so you could have one computer like my my MacBook, my laptop could probably run, I don't know, hundreds of validators. A, a lot. Yeah. I think many a validators. Raspberry Pi is considered pretty damn safe to 10, 10 validators. Easy, so one Raspberry Pi can manage 30, three, 320 ETH. Right. Um, I think if you're on a MacBook Pro, like, yo, you can like really juice that thing up. I think people get confused about like um, the 64 ETH because when you deposit in like a staking provider like, um, like Coinbase, right. it feels like, oh, I'm giving 64 can, ETH into right. this thing. and the, Or you know. 12 or uh, arbitrary number. Right. But behind the scenes, of course, Coinbase has to spin up as many... Mm -hmm. Uh, validators is kind of divisible by by 32 and their total amount of yeah. ETH divided by 32 is the number of validators they are running in the background. Correct, right. And like when you deposit 16 ETH uh, into Rocket Pool as a validator, 16 more ETH comes from other people to fill, to backfill that and then you get to 32, for example. Yep. So, so it's all 32 all the way down. 32 all the way down. It's like bits. Uh, all right. What are the things you agree with Bitcoin maxis on? This is Timu.Lens. Mm -hmm asking that question. David, do you agree with Bitcoin maxis on anything? Yeah, quite a lot, right? It's like, I agree with Bitcoin. Bitcoiners have everything right on principle. Like I, our principles with what Bitcoin is, I think is really, really aligned. That Venn diagram overlap is significant. It's the execution that we disagree on. So things like a self-sovereign monetary policy that humans don't tinker with. I want that. Uh, a calcified blockchain that doesn't change in the long term. I want that. Uh, you know, censorship resistance. I want that. All the same principles we fundamentally agree with Bitcoiners. It's just like we disagree on how to actually apply that when it comes to a blockchain. So I think, you know, if you have a Bitcoin blockchain, you actually don't get censorship resistance because you have to do financial activity at the centralized layer. Like there's no DeFi in Bitcoin. Uh, and so I disagree with how you actually achieve censorship resistance versus what Bitcoin or C. But the base principles are 
very, very aligned. I very much agree with them on most things in that camp. Well said. I have nothing to add. I, I pretty much agree with uh, with all mm-hmm. of that. And one one thing I will say though is um, Vitalik has uh, said before that Ethereum values are Bitcoin moderate values, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's an interesting take too. Uh, one maybe area of disagreement with Bitcoin maximalists is because the question is specifically with Bitcoin maximalists. Sure. They agree or they they think that the only manifestation of this thing is bitcoin right Mm -hmm. um and like that is the the departure i would say from what you and i believe and what they believe um and um they're not like there's not the pragmatism i would say that there is in kind of the ethereum community of like hey there are different routes to get there and some are some are more pragmatic and um you know not as cut and dry as Bitcoin was created by Satoshi. It's never changed, fully immutable, 21 million forever, right? Um, that's kind of like written in, in Bitcoin maximalist mm-hmm. law. So the, the ideas are similar, but the I guess the manifestation of those ideas or the implementation of them are different. Right. I'm reminded of that meme where it's a Star Trek meme where the lady is asking two dudes like, are you two friends? And the Bitcoiner is like, no. And the Ethereum is like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree with that. Um, all right, David, some takes of the week. Why don't you read mm-hmm. this first one from Gaspar? Yeah. Good times create centralized projects. Centralized projects create bad times. Bad times creates decentralized products, projects. Decentralized projects create good times. I love this take. I thought this was so good. Uh, I feel like this is just really emblematic of the tail end of 2021, where a bunch of centralized products, projects, which touted decentralization, turned out to be centralized and created a bunch of bad times, Ryan. I think you name the blockchain. What comes to mind? Uh, Terra, sir. Yeah. Luna. Yeah. That whole fiasco. Cre- created some bad times. Well, not only that, um, <laughs> Three Earths Capital is a big centralized yeah. kind of fund on Blackbox, Celsius. You know, yeah. centralized lending Celsius, provider. Also touting decentralization, but was super duper centralized. Yep. Uh, some bad times. But on the back of this, it says bad times create decentralized projects. Does that mean during yep. the build market That's right where now, we are. we're going to get we some decentralized? We are decent- here. We're here. Okay. <laughs> bad then- times creating decentralized projects. I'm okay <laughs> with being here for like a while. Yeah. Like I could spend a good year here before we get yeah, to like yeah. the good times Well, how, how long are we into this thing? Know, are we, just a few months. Is that 2022? Well, six months. Or a second half of 2022? Um, I think stuff really started to go bad, you know, May June? of this year, I would May, say. May, June? Yeah. Okay. And it, so we're, and we're, we're a little bit more than one quarter into it? Yeah, okay. just a quarter. Okay. So I could, I could spend like five or six quarters here before I'm feeling yeah. a little restless. Yeah. Or longer. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm down to have a wintry winter yeah, for sure. That's cool. Uh, here's a take. Maybe it's maybe because it's of this take. <laughs> Ryan Shout Adam says 99% of the crypto industry is a joke, but the remaining 1% will change the world. Uh, first off, any thoughts on that take since it's yours? But also, why? Uh, why? I just wanted to say this. It's a bit of a, um, you know, uh, of course, you know, the market cap of legitimate projects like Bitcoin, Ethereum, many other projects that we think are fully legitimate is greater than 1%, right? The, sure. So there's a little bit of hyperbole here. But the reason I wanted to say this, 99% of the crypto industry is a joke, is I think that we should say that explicitly to lower the defenses mm. of people who aren't on the inside of our industry, right. but are on the outside right. looking in. Like the very yes. first thing we should say is, guys, we acknowledge all of the scams, yes. all of the shenanigans, 
right. all of the stupidity yes, you are that right. you yeah. see it, that you see in here. You are correct. You are 100% right. We acknowledge that. I'm not trying to defend any of it. It's stupid. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you kind of say, but there's something here. There's right. like one percent, there's a sliver of like incredible technology and uh, political social movement and social layer that is absolutely going to change everything. And if you stop at the 99% of the joke part, you don't get to that 1% will change the world, then you'll miss out on this thing. But yeah. first step is acknowledging it, specifically when you're, talking, when you're talking to someone outside of the crypto industry. Good take. Love it. All right, David, mm -hmm. now we'll get to your take. This is you. The merge reduces ETH's gravity by 90%. David Hoffman take. Okay. I know it reduces ETH's issuance by 90%. Of course, we've mm -hmm. talked about that. The triple happening post-merge, that's what's going to happen. Why are you saying the word gravity rather than issuance here? Right, because uh, proof-of-work miners, the, the theory behind proof-of-work miners is that proof-of-work as a mechanism fundamentally approaches 100% of sell pressure. Therefore, issuance plus proof of work, the combination of those two things is always like a downwards pull on price. Uh. And so proof of stake is the fundamental opposite. It's the complete inversion of that. So proof of stakers are competing with each other on who's more bullish because as more people stake more ETH, the yields go down. Uh, and so like the way that this works is that the people that accept the lowest yields are always the last ones staking. And so the most bullish people are always accepting the lower, lower and lower yields as staking becomes more and more saturated. And so where proof of work, miners are on a race to sell their asset, stakers are in a race to be more bullish than the asset. So like with proof of work, it approaches 100% of sell pressure. And with proof of stake, it approaches 0% sell pressure. It goes in the opposite direction. And so when we reduce our issuance by 90%, it's like, it's just another, it's another met metaphor. Like last week I was talking about like the swimmer that has to swim upstream and it grows really strong muscles and then the current goes away and all of a sudden those strong muscles can move ether forward. The same thing with ether issuance is that when we reduce issuance by 90% and go to proof of stake, it's like we're turning gravity off on the ETH price. It's like when it jumps, it's going to jump 10 times higher because the gravity's turned off on ether. We have moon, so, moon gravity rather than- moon uh, boots. We got, Ether's gravity. got moon boots, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, it's, it's, easy. it's 10 times easier to get to the moon. Well, how, how do you like that metaphor? I, I, I like it a lot since it's Merge Temper. I'm feeling in the mood for these uh, kind of bullish tweets. Uh, yeah, I think you're always in the mood for <laughs> David, uh, last thing. I'll read mm -hmm. it from Eric Wall on uh, last take of the week. Andrea, Andreas Antonopoulos was and still is a great man and probably the best Bitcoiner whoever existed and this is kobe under it saying he's such a legend and then uh picture what are we looking uh -huh. at here yeah we're a picture of just a uh, kobe and andreas and tenobolis posing for a photo with just a nice high five which definitely looks like a london bar uh <laughs> i'm guessing uh that's because that's where kobe is uh and kobe says the world's greatest bitcoiner uh, uh of course andreas next to the world's worst bitcoiner which is of course kobe i just thought it was a good photo it's a nice black and white photo kind of looks like an oldie photo i thought it was a good photo i um andreas is one of the people who got me into crypto i will say Same. back in like Same. 2014 and um he is i know sometimes david and i give uh, bitcoin maximalists a hard time we're not giving mm -hmm. bitcoiners a hard time no um andreas to me is like the greatest bitcoiner who ever existed he i think he right. exemplifies all of the good yeah. parts of bitcoin and mm -hmm. i wish more andreas's 
were still counted themselves as Bitcoiners because mm-hmm. like that is a person that um, does not embarrass me. Like when I call myself a Bitcoiner, I'd be I'd be proud to be associated with someone like uh, Andreas. Andreas, he's here yeah. for the right reasons. Um, he cares very deeply about the fundamental values of censorship resistance and immutability, like what we're building in crypto. Uh, and he stayed true from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. He's also incredibly articulate and a uh, very persuasive thinker and a genuinely good person who's upheld his right. reputation over the decades. How many other people in crypto can you say that about? So right. um, if you ever want an example of, of somebody, a Bitcoiner that um, David and I think very highly of uh, and would want to emulate and would want to be yes. bankless to be associated with, it's Andreas Antonopoulos. Um, he should come on Bankless Podcast. We yeah. still haven't made yeah, that we, happen we've, yet. We've tried to. We've tried to get him on. He'll come on eventually, hopefully. Um, his his Internet of Money books, Ryan, were they they were the first like piece of non technical Bitcoin literature that really opened up my brain to what this thing is. And when I I would listen to his talks on YouTube and. They're all just chock full of metaphors. And like yes. people uh, talk about like bankless, they're really good at their metaphors. Like I'm so honored that people say that about us because I look to Andreas Antonopoulos as like a personal hero in this space as somebody who really commands like the literary power of metaphor to help democratize access to the information behind crypto. Uh, so like not only is my, am I totally in agreement that like he's the world's greatest Bitcoiner, just straight up personal hero. Uh, yeah. And if you haven't read Andreas's Antonopoulos's Internet of Money Volumes 1 and 2, add that to your like required reading material because it will grow your understanding of crypto. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there we go. All right. What, what are you bullish on this week, David? Uh, I'm bullish on Bankless's uh, brand new live streaming infrastructure, which I think the, the okay. viewers on the YouTube uh, definitely got a taste of that because the formatting is a little bit different. Still got some work to do. Still need to get some templates from our designer to make that black background more interesting. Uh, but the OBS, the broadcasting suite service that I use, and also this physical studio has now finally been done. Like we're done here. It's good Can to go. Can you turn the lights on again? Yeah, Can we're say gonna, that we're again. Turn, so okay. Oh shit! I, I I should have led into it. Uh, but so the uh, the <laughs> Wes, the guy that was helping me set this stuff up, he, he sets okay. up uh, the the normal like lights, right? So like YouTube lights, got some blue in the background. Uh, yeah. And uh, and then once he's done with that, he's like, okay, okay, I'm I'm done setting up all the lights for the studio. But would you like party mode lights? And I go for a half second. Yes. Yes, I would like party mode lights. And so now I have party mode lights in my in my uh, apartment. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. Are you going to use that outside of the podcast? Like, oh, gosh, yeah. Have people over? Oh, like, <laughs> I, I, this, this is like when I'm just wor- working, like writing and doing some work. We got party mode lights on. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't actually. David's in the club. It's, it's good. Oh, That's cool, gosh. Man. Uh, Ryan, we need a lot of uh, rollups. I think yeah. Arbitrum Nitro earlier this week, right? So it's only been a year since rollups kind of came out, like EVM compatible rollups. Uh, and uh, we just got 7x more Ethereums out of it in just a year's time. All right. Seven more Ethereums? Yeah. I don't like, you don't have to do the math, but like if you do 7x every year, that's a lot of Scale. transactions per second. That's a lot of scalability. And not only did they do that, you also have like technologies like uh, Nova, for example, mm-hmm. which is like, relaxing the requirement to put data on chain and store it else uh, elsewhere. What I learned in that episode we did earlier this week is like, if the data availability piece, if that part goes bad, then it just folds back right. gracefully into a rollup. Yep. I didn't know if rollups could right. do that, David. Right. Um, so it's not like that bad of a trade-off at all. Mm-hmm. And I guess all of this makes me kind of wonder uh, about sort of the, the thesis for it. Like if you're a monolithic layer one, 
how are you competing here, right? Because you can't be, compete on a security from a security perspective, right? That's out of the question. And now rollups are getting like just as fast as you and just as cheap as you. Faster, so how do you cheaper. compete? And to how, me, how do you compete, Ryan? You you go sue other layer ones. That's what you do. Well, if you're shady, but like yeah. if you're not shady, and I think there are some like many layer ones out there that like aren't devolving mm-hmm. into shady practices. Maybe a Solana, for example, yeah. right? Um, Solana's legit. Trying to do. I, I have tr- more respect for Solana now than I used to. Well, trying to do things well, right? And so, how do they compete? They have to compete on business development. Yeah. This is why we see things like a Solana store. I yeah. genuinely believe they're trying right. to compete on business development. Um, but I think the long term on this is that um, it's going to be difficult because I'm seeing some of these rollups and their biz dev is firing up, right? Mm-hmm. So like Polygon's already crushing it. Right. Like Optimism, we got ZK Sync, mm-hmm. we've got Arbitrum. Like Arbitrum are- hired that like former face somebody big ass big big company marketing development team. They yeah. are they are learning like the business development yeah. skills and they started mm-hmm. technical and now they're learning the business development. So it's going to be hard for uh, the middle to hold. And so what I think right. we'll be left with honestly is like on one side you'll have Ethereum, which is kind of the the modular settlement layer strategy. And on the other side, you'll actually have Cosmos, right? Yeah. And like, I mean, the Cosmos ethos, not necessarily Cosmos, but this messy array of self-sovereign chains. And I, I think there'll be not much in the middle. I don't think the middle will actually hold. Yeah. So it, it is back to kind of like, you got Ethereum and then you got the Cosmos ecosystem and not much in the middle. Right. And maybe this has always been the way... Um, this industry has has kind of evolved because these have been the two dueling visions. Right. Uh, anyway, that was kind of a realization for me this week, and I'm excited about the scale we've just brought to uh, to Ethereum once again. Hundred percent. Yeah, I do think the era of monolithic blockchains is over. Like you're you're gonna get outcompeted just by raw tech. By the way, we're doing a lot with uh, Cosmos yes. in October. A- right? After the merge, Cosmos week. after merge timber comes Cosmos. Week. <laughs> So uh, we are we have Cosmos Tober, uh, Zachy and Sunny from Cosmos to come give us the Cosmos vision, uh, but I mean we wanted to do it now, but like can't do it now. It's it's merge merge timber, so we're gonna yeah. do Cosmos with them. Cosmos there we go. Cos-tober. All right, David, meme of the week time. What are we meme looking at? Uh, we're looking at the Drake drop. Uh, so Drake, the Drake <laughs> meme, you know the one he's like shunning the first one, then pointing to the second one is Drake is shunning his own Drake album drop. And then he's pointing towards the actual real Drake, Justin Drake, the dropping on the Bankless podcast, Ethereum Uncensored. If you didn't listen to that episode, what the hell are you doing? Go listen to it. It was real good. Did you listen good. to it a second time yet? Yes, I did. Yeah. So did I. Yeah. It was, it's because actually I felt like the first time we didn't listen to the entire thing mm-hmm. because like connectivity was so bad between yeah. Justin and ourselves. Yeah. Like that, I that, missed uh, entire that, sentences. That was a trivia, little fun little piece of trivia on that episode is that uh, we... Um, uh, it was the internet was so bad that we were using Skype, which I hate. We were all recording both video and audio locally, talking to each other on Skype. Uh, and then our like magical editors, uh, Luke and Dave, just like saved this episode. Uh, and do you and know it, it sounds flawless? It like, sounds like flawless. It. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like even maybe better than normal. I didn't even know how yeah. they did that, but yeah. um, thank you, magic, thank magic you, Bankless team editors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, our time to remind you: none of this has f- been financial advice. Bitcoin, ETH, DeFi, crypto—all of it's risky. You could definitely lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the journey. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. I screwed it up. This is the journey. <laughs>